Hey, welcome to the podcast of C3 Los Angeles. I'm Jake Sweetman, and together with my wife, Nicole, we lead this church. We're glad you're here, and we pray that wherever you're tuning in from, that you are encouraged and strengthened by this word. Here's today's message. Uh, We're in week two of uh, a series called Healthy Start, which is uh, all about the health of our hearts. Am I a little bit loud? Is that what's happening? No? Okay, we're good. Great. Maybe I'm just catching myself in that speaker over there, which is small but deceptive in how loud it can get. So we're talking about the the health of our hearts uh, over the course of this month, um, which is going to culminate in our annual dream service. For every year, for as long as Nicole and I have been leading this church, we've done something called a dream service, which we typically have done on the very first Sunday of the year. And as I was looking forward to that at the end of last year, I felt God say to me, you, you jump the gun into that service, and you get together on the first Sunday, and you have people write down their dreams, but you didn't teach them how to dream properly. And so that's where the series was, was birthed out of, is wanting to take four weeks to actually help shape the way that we dream so that we can dream in accordance with the will and the desires of God. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 5 to 9 is where we're going to be based in today. And this is uh, a scripture where Moses is talking to Uh, the Israelites, and they're about to cross over the Jordan River into the land that has been promised to them. And this moment of stepping into that promised land has been a long time coming. And there's a whole bunch of wisdom that we can draw from this that pertains to us today. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 5 to 9, Moses says this to Israel, See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees. And they're going to say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I am setting before you today? Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. I have such a simple message for you today, but if you can grab a hold of this simple truth that we're going to talk about, it will have a profound impact on your life. The title of this simple message is this, Dreaming with a Good Memory. And we're going to pick up right where we left off last week as we travel towards January 29th, where we're going to write down what it is that is most worth pursuing this year. Every single one of us have our dreams and we have our desires. And just like all of the other parts of your life, these things will be far better off if they are the product of a healthy heart. Proverbs 4.23, which is our series verse, says, Above all all else, please don't let the striking nature of this verse pass you by. Above everything else that you do, guard your heart. Why? No big reason. Everything you do flows from it. I want to tell you today that you do not dream independently of what is stored in your heart. 
The dreams that you have are not just the result of you looking out to something external and getting a vision of something worth pursuing and deciding you want to go after that. No, your dreams are inextricably linked to the health of your heart. Everything you see that is desirable and worth going after, you see through the filter of your heart's health, for better or for worse. In our culture, a person's dreams are that, I guess that one part of life where we are encouraged to unapologetically be self-centered in pursuing our dreams. And you see a lot of it around this time of year in the new year, and you see the Instagram posts and the tweets encouraging you to go after everything that you desire and take no prisoners and all that kind of stuff and do what you want to do. But you know that Jesus actually invites us into something so much better than that kind of life. Not to dream in a self-centered manner, but something so much greater. If we listen to his invitation throughout this series, here's what's going to happen. Some things are going to change for you. It's likely not that there's a total overhaul of your dreams that needs to take place. All of your desires probably don't need to be eradicated and filled with something else. But what will probably happen is that there's going to be a reprioritization and a reordering of what you want. I know Sarah Eskendone, who did such a phenomenal job last week kicking off this series here in the South Bay, quoted St. Augustine uh, to help us understand what we're talking about. But I think this quote bears repeating. St. Augustine had this concept of disordered loves, and he said that a just and good person is also a person who has rightly ordered his love so that he does not love what is wrong to love or fail to love what should be loved or love too much what should be loved less. I just want to let that one sit. Or love too little what should be loved more. You want to be a just and good person? Order your love correctly. You see, sometimes life is a choice between two mutually exclusive things. This or that, here or there. But most of the time, actually, life isn't a choice between two exclusive things. Life often is a choice of which thing first. Which thing most. And when first things come first, other things, they rest securely in the capable hands of God. They're in God's hands, even while you have decided that they are not going to be the thing that your own hands are clinging to. You see, this is what I have found the Christian experience to be. Christianity is the exercise in allowing God to order the priorities of your heart. And as you lower yourself on the priority list, you trust that God is capable with your life while you make yourself about his desires. I heard a story recently of a mom who asked her eight-year-old son if Jesus was in his heart. And her son is the analytical type, so he thought about it for a moment. He said, Mom, I'm not sure if Jesus is in my heart or not. I think 40% is family. 5 to 10% is sin. 40% is Jesus. And the other 10% is hobbies. And the truth is, that's how a lot of us can be with our own hearts. Where Jesus is granted a room, but he does not have the entire house. There's just parts of ourselves that we keep back from him. And it's not that we don't talk 
to him about those parts of ourselves. We do, but the only time that those parts come into the conversation with Jesus is when we're asking him to bless them. Which, of course, he cannot do and he will not do because they are not submitted to him. In other words, they have taken priority over him. It's similar to what Sarah was talking about last week with the idea that most of us are looking for God to sign off on what we want to do in life and we think that that's the best thing that there is. When really God wants to offer us something that is much more significant than just his signature on our desires. The Israelite story is a story of keeping your priorities right. By the time we get to Deuteronomy chapter 4, this group of people have been through a whole heck of a lot. I mean, they were born into slavery for 400 years. How many generations is that? Generation after generation of being enslaved by the Egyptian people until one day God suddenly miraculously sets them free. He appoints a man named Moses and Moses confronts Pharaoh. God has his full strength working with Moses as he brings plagues upon Egypt and Israel is allowed out. The Red Sea is parted. They cross through. The Egyptian army is drowned. They come to the other side and God has done so much for them already. But now we're going to spend about 40 years wandering in the wilderness because even though God has done so much, they still don't believe. And because they disbelieve, they're also disobedient. And so they wander in the wilderness for 40 years until they finally come to this precipice of crossing over the Jordan River and finally entering into the promised land. And it's there at that precipice where Moses reinstates God's covenant with them. And this covenant is a really big deal. Essentially, it's about how to be the people of God. And the outcome of being God's people won't just mean blessing and prosperity for Israel. It will mean the reconciliation of all the nations of the world back to the Lord. This is the mission that God has for Israel. And we can see the foreshadowing of the gospel here pointing towards Jesus, who won't just be the faithful Israelite. He will be the faithful human who reconciles not just the surrounding Middle Eastern nations, but all the nations of the earth to God in himself. This is the mission that Israel is supposed to get going in, but they fail time and time again. And the reason they failed is because they could not obey what Moses said to them in that scripture we read. In Deuteronomy 4 and verse 9, this is the instruction from Moses as they're about to enter the promise. Be careful, watch yourselves closely, so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen, or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. So the instruction is really simple. Israel, remember what God has done for you. Remember how you were slaves and God miraculously, shockingly rescued you out of slavery. Remember how the presence of God visibly led you out of Egypt and he was with you all throughout the wilderness as a cloud by day and a fire by night. Remember how God was faithful to you even when you were unfaithful to him. Remember how he fed you with manna and meat and brought water out of a rock. Remember how he descended upon the, the point of Mount Sinai and made a covenant with you of all the people of the world, a group of nobodies, the God of the universe, made a covenant with you and taught you how to go from a destitute group of slaves into a holy nation of God. And in all your remembering, make sure that the meditation of your heart becomes the message in your mouth and teach these things to your kids. 
emphatically, do not let everything I've done for you fade from your heart. Now, biblically speaking, we learned last week that your heart is the core of your being. It is your most true and genuine self. So when God says to Israel, don't let all that I've done for you fade from your heart, the instruction is something like, hey, don't forget what you're really truly about. Don't forget who you are. And don't forget what's supposed to matter the most to you. And the timing couldn't be better because Israel is at an important juncture. They're about to step into the promise. They're about to enter into that land of plenty. They're about to receive the abundance, the milk and the honey. And God is warning them, hey, you're going to prosper and your prosperity is going to tempt you to forget me. And you will forget That I was the one, Deuteronomy 8, who gave you the power to get wealth in the first place. And you will convince yourself that you got the wealth all by yourself. You see, abundance is a very tricky thing for us people. And the key for Israel will be that as their hands are filled with lesser things, that they are vigilant to store up and to nurture the greater things in their heart. In other words... Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. It might feel like you can act independently of the health of your heart and just pursue things that are external to you that you judge to be objectively good and make your life about your pursuits. But I can promise you that if your heart drifts from God, it will not remain agnostic as to who it serves. Your heart will serve somebody, and if it's not serving God, then it will serve your pursuits. And your pursuits will become your burden instead of your blessing. They will be your master instead of your servant. God, as far as I can tell, doesn't doesn't have an issue with you materially prospering. Doesn't have an issue with you having plenty. But what he does have an issue with is abundance becoming an end unto itself. And this is precisely how Israel fails. They grow prosperous. They grow strong. They forget God. And their hearts become corrupted by idolatry, sin, and selfishness. And so God, anticipating this, says, hey, here's how you maintain correct priorities. And if your priorities are correct, then you will enjoy the life that I'm bringing you into. But as soon as I go from first to anywhere else, this is going to go poorly for you. And God says, here's the key to the right priorities in your heart. It's remembrance. Don't let all that I've done fade from your heart. Intentionally remember it, rehearse it, remind one another of it, and relay it to your children. And that's the point of the message. The power of remembrance. You see, remembrance is your best friend when it comes to shaping your dreams and your desires. The way that you look to the future is going to depend on how well you recall the past. Dreaming with a good memory about what God has done for you is absolutely essential if your loves are to be ordered correctly, like Augustine said. 
But when we don't have a good memory, when we forget what God has done for us, then all of our desires and our dreams for the future, they become disordered, they become corrupted, and they get grounded in bad motives. And so the things that you want to go after in life aren't because you want to honor and glorify God. It's because you want to prove somebody wrong who said something to you five years ago that has marked you more than you're willing to admit. And now you want that just because, man, that'll show them. And your heart becomes corrupted. But can I tell you that you and I, we have so much to remember. Not in the sense that like it's hard to remember, but in the sense like there's a whole lot that God has done for us that we can easily recall again and again to help shape our futures. You see, you and I, we have received an even greater exodus than Israel. We have been brought out from under the slavery, not of another nation. You and I have been brought from out of the slavery of that insidious thing called sin. And you and I, we have entered into a greater promised land, a land that is marked not by milk and honey, but by the bread and the wine of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. We have entered into not a physical kingdom, but into the kingdom of heaven. And as recipients of these greater things, we receive also lesser things as well. God doesn't mind providing for your material needs and for your material enjoyment. Romans 8, 32, that he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? And so you and I need to be a people who understand the importance and the power of remembering what God has done in the sense of his salvific work, but also what God has done in just the mediocre day-to-day, how I could have gone that way and that would have been disaster, but God took me that way and that's why I'm still here today and I might not be where I want to be but at least I'm not where I used to be and God has been faithful to me and my family every step of the way and I'm choosing to remember otherwise we share the same risk as Israel and we develop unhealthy hearts and nothing could be more detrimental, catastrophic and debilitating to the life of a Christian than an unhealthy heart. Because all the issues of your life flow from your heart. And so if our hearts are unhealthy, how will we live in right response to the things that God has done for us? We'll be like Israel and we'll get caught up with lesser things. The achievement of all of our desires and dreams. The collection of all the things we want at the expense of giving God priority and precedence in our lives. And in that state, we might say that we love God and we know God, but functionally we're like an unbeliever because he's not really our priority. When we don't remember God and what he's done for us, we fall for the trap of making our lives all about us, all about ourselves, which is to say that your life becomes small. Now that is exactly the opposite of what you would expect would happen. That if you make your life about your pursuits and if you make your passion all the desires and the dreams that you have coming to pass, the things that you want for yourself, you would think that your life would become big and meaningful and important. But actually the momentum and the inertia of your life just spirals inwardly until it comes down to this point like a reverse big bang and you're just a speck in the midst of other specks of individuals in society who have fallen for the same life to live exactly the same exact kind of way. But when you turn your eyes to the Lord and determine I will not make my life about me. I will make my life about you and in service of others. Then now the inertia of your life spans bigger and bigger like an ever-growing universe. What does the proverb say? That the world of the generous gets larger and larger, but the world of the stingy 
gets smaller and smaller. What happens is we become our own top priority. Even in our relationship with God. So that our prayers, they don't often transcend beyond what we want God to do for us. And this is a constant cycle of unhappiness and discontent. Because even in the giving, well, let me say it this way. Even in the even in the passing of the Red Sea, you'll still find something to complain about on the other side. Because none of the stuff that we achieve for our own sake ever makes us happy the way we hoped it would make us happy. When our memory is poor, our hearts will make idols. If only I could just get more. And we get anxious about what we don't have. But if we regularly pause and recognize Look at what I have received. I have received the forgiveness of my sins. I mean, we could just stop the list right there and that would be enough. Do you remember what your relationship with sin used to be like? Or have you been saved so long that you forgot that you used to revel in gossip? You used to enjoy slander. You felt justified in vengeance. Your sexual immorality didn't make you ill. You liked it. And you have been forgiven of that which you used to love. And now the thing that destroyed you, you recoil at. Because God has done a miracle in you and changed your desire. So that you have a taste for holy things. It's not that you still don't get tempted. And it's not that you don't make a mistake. And you take a bite out of that cake that you know you shouldn't have. But at least now where your palate used to revel, now it recoils. And God has forgiven you and he set you free. He's put you on a path of righteousness and holiness. I've been completely cleansed. I've been freed from the prison of my shame. I have entered into a relationship with the God of the universe. And my relationship is not characterized by the distance of a servant. It is characterized by the intimacy and closeness of a son and a daughter. I have received nothing less than a miraculous, shocking exodus out of slavery and into true freedom. God, thank you. And when you remember what you are participating in as a rebellious act of hope, amidst a world who are plagued by discontentment. Because in all of the world's sadness and discontent about what they don't have, you sit there and you go, God, I've received so much. You see, remembrance is, is necessary to survive a world that you share with sin and Satan. Because sin and Satan, they will constantly remind you of the things that you don't have. And sin and Satan will tempt you with bitterness and will try to lead you down paths that, that you think are gonna satisfy you and make you happy. And those things will kill you. But if you remember what God has done for you, and that will direct your life towards not aimless pursuits, but the pursuit of God. And then something amazing begins to happen. Your remembrance begets gratitude. And not just of the generic sort, but gratitude that truly springs out of recognizing what God has done for his people in Jesus Christ. And so simply by remembering you go from dissatisfaction to now having a fountain of gratitude spring up within you. And what I want you to realize is that when that happens to you, you are experiencing a miracle 
a small miracle, but a wonderful miracle nonetheless, that in that place of prayer, as you recall God's faithfulness, you experience the phenomenon of a joy that is independent of circumstance. And when that thing happens, when we experience gratitude like that, and we're experiencing joy that's independent of circumstance, that leads us to want to respond, yes, with praise, but also to freely give what it is that we have freely received. And this now has a huge impact on the way that you view your circumstances, which is that improving them stops being your top priority. Because when your joy is no longer dependent upon the improvement of your own life, then the improvement of your own life stops being the most important thing to you. And so all of a sudden now, because you started with remembrance and then you got grateful, now your dreams and your desires, they begin to take a different shape. And now they take the shape of the cross. And they go from self-centered to God-centered and others-focused. And there's that reprioritization that takes place simply because you remembered. It's not that the things that you want to achieve all of a sudden become nothing. But there's a reordering. So that you used to spend 80% of your time praying about you and 20% about others. And now you spend 80% of your time praying about others. And if you get to you, then that's a good day. But can I just tell you something? Even if you only have time to utter a few phrases about what you desire in life, that is more than enough for the God of the heavens and the earth to work with. God does not need lessons in how to love you. We're talking about the eternally communal Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who has loved Himself. He has shared love amongst His triune self for all of eternity. He never learned how to love. He won't forget how to love. And so He won't forget how to love you. He's not at a loss for how to be a blessing to your life. So if you say, God, my life's about you, you don't have to worry about whether or not God knows how to do miracles in your life as well. Jesus said this, your father already knows what you need. Pray then like this. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. The two thoughts are linked because God already knows what you need. You can pray a different kind of way. Where your prayers, your dreams and desires, they don't orient about you. Because you know that God has you. And even if God did all the things that you had on that prayer list that would make your life better, you'd still feel kind of empty at the end of it all. I know that because I've experienced it. And so have you. I was in Dallas last week with the great privilege of getting to speak at a church there for their New Year's conference. And every day at the conference at the noon hour, they had an Anglican priest come in and lead the people through communion. It was really beautiful. And so I was there on Friday and went to the noon hour communion. And before he led us through communion, he shared a short little sermon. And in the sermon, he told the story. And the story was about how before COVID, he had started a side business. I guess Anglican priests have side hustles as well. And his side hustle was smoking and selling barbecue. He was the most Texan Anglican priest you've ever met in your life. I loved the way that he was dressed. He had his little Anglican white priest collar on, but he also had this like cowboy vest and these jeans and really dirty cowboy boots. It was awesome. And so he had this, this business of, of selling barbecue. 
And then when the pandemic happened, he decided that one of the things that he could do to help people was to feed them with the food that he had gotten really good at cooking. And so he was giving barbecue away throughout the pandemic, and, which in Texas was really short. <laughs> it was a joke. Just felt a little long here, didn't it? Okay, anyway, moving on. <clears throat> and he, had a, he got connected with this, this ministry in Dallas that serves the mentally ill. And they had reached out to him, and so he agreed to provide a meal for the people that they serve for a lunch. And the thing that he explained about barbecue is that barbecue is all math. I guess there's an average amount of meat that people eat. And so when you know the size of your party, you know exactly how much you're going to cook. And that's going to be enough to feed that group of people for that meal. So he's serving this, this group for lunch. So he's up super early in the morning. It's a long process. He's making the barbecue. And he makes exactly the right amount to feed this group of people for lunch that day. And he drives it. He drops it off just before lunchtime. And then he goes home. He's exhausted. Later that night, he gets a call from a lady who runs the ministry. And he picks up the phone. And she says, what did you do? And he thinks to himself, I... I must have not made enough food. She sounds like a little bit upset or surprised or something. And he said, well, uh, what do you mean? She says, well, something happened. And she said, "Uh, you you brought way too much food. He said, no, I I didn't. I checked the math, double-checked it, had my wife check the math, and I made sure to make exactly the right amount of food for your party, for your group, to feed them lunch. She said, well, well, that might be the case, but as the team were going back to the coolers to get the barbecue, there just kept on being more food. And that group of people ended up having enough barbecue to eat off of for three entire days. Which wasn't even the amazing part. The amazing part was that that morning she shared with this Anglican priest, his name was Father David, she shared with Father David uh, that this morning I was, I was reading in the Gospel of Matthew and I came across the story of Jesus. Praise God. I came across the story of Jesus multiplying the fish and the loaves and feeding the 5,000. And then she prayed this prayer after she read that story that morning. She said, God, I would love to experience something like that in my lifetime. And evidently God's answer was, how about today? What a wonderful kind of life would you and I get to live if we had the courage to dream beyond our own desires and to make the requests of our heart, the prayers that we pray, something so much more significant than what we want God to do for us in life. You might just find yourself getting to participate in the miracle of all miracles. The multiplication of food, the healing of somebody who's been struck by cancer. Maybe the salvation of somebody that you work with that you know doesn't know God. But what if at the top of your priority list this year wasn't that breakthrough in your career? What if the top of your priority list was the salvation of that lost soul? And maybe God will bring the breakthrough in your career and you'll show up to work every single day and you'll do your best and you'll honor God with the work of your hands. 
But at the same time, the request of your lips is, God, not my will, but your will be done. And so for that reason, I decided if I'm really going to help you dream in the direction of God this year, the second question that I'm going to put on your dream card is this. Who is the one person that you're going to be intentional with in your prayers and your interactions this year in order to help them know Jesus? What's the name that you're going to write down that you won't forget the day after? But you're going to commit yourself every single day when you wake up and you have your quiet time with God. You're going to pray for that person. And when you show up to the coffee shop where they work or to your office where they are, you're going to be intentional all year long. And you're going to commit yourself to being the reason that they went from lost to found. And I can promise you that that emptiness that you'll feel if you got all the things you wanted at the end of the year, you won't feel that emptiness. On the day that you bring them to church and I put out the call for people to give their lives to the Lord and miraculously their hand comes up and their feet walk down to the front here and I pray for them and lay hands on them and they ask Christ to come and be the Lord of their lives. As you watch that, I can promise you won't feel a twinge of emptiness. In that moment, you will feel as though you just fulfilled the greatest purpose that could possibly ever be handed to you because it is. Remember the mission of Israel. Hey, I'm bringing you into this land for the sake of all the nations around you. And had they remembered God's faithfulness to them, they would have fulfilled that mission. As it turns out, God had something even better in store for you and I to be a light unto the world. And the way that we succeed in that mission is the same way that Israel would have succeeded in theirs. To remember. Because if you remember what God has done for you, it will beget gratitude in you. And it will give birth to a desire to share with others what God has given to you. You've been listening to the C3 Los Angeles podcast. If you found today's message helpful, we encourage you to share it with a friend and consider rating it. If you'd like more information about our church or details on how to get connected to a neighborhood group, head to c3losangeles.com. We love you. Thanks for tuning in with us.